Welcome back to Press Break, Sports Shift Media's college basketball podcast powered by the Juice Box Pod. Go check them out at the Juice Box Pod. And uh, we're back for another week. It is finally conference tournament time. 11 teams have already punched their tickets, and then the rest of the big tournaments start today. I think this could possibly be uh, tomorrow. Uh, when you're listening to this, it'll be today. Um, I think that Thursday might be the best day of college basketball, even better than the NCAA tournament, because there's just so many games. I'm so excited for it to happen, and we're going to just dive into all of it. But I'm your host, Jake Thomas, and I'm joined by my co-host, Brandon Johnson. Brandon, how you doing? Doing well, man. Back in Virginia. I spent last episode all last week in PA visiting the family, but now we're back, back in the home state, and uh, excited to do this show. And yeah, you're absolutely right. We've got so much basketball. Um, and I think, uh, to your point, I think this could be more exciting than the NCAA tournament but also because of how much parity there has been in all of the mm -hmm. conferences, at least our five that we cover the most all year long, with the exception of maybe two or three teams in each of the big conferences, you could literally say each conference tournament is to win. Right. Yep. So we're looking forward to that. And I get to pair it. I don't know how much I know you play golf, but the fifth major of the year is this week starting tomorrow and the players out there at TPC, we're mm -hmm. going to have fans more so than we did last week um, at that tournament at Bay Hill. So I'm excited to hear roars again. I'm excited for basketball. I will get zero work done from <laughs> tomorrow at noon until next Monday. <laughs> yeah, that, that's very exciting. I have my new office and my new house set up and I have got four screens going right here. And I'm just so excited for everything going on. My internet usage is going to be through the roof for this first month because yeah, good, be uh, good thing you're not using a mobile hotspot uh, yeah exactly <laughs> you might not have enough data <laughs> uh, yeah that uh that was always a fun time of the year in college because uh, the internet in the business building never worked very well so i was just running games off of my uh phone uh, during uh, class and i would always get that text from my parents like what are you doing <laughs> internet usage just <laughs> through the roof so uh, we'll be set up here and uh we're ready to go for all these tournaments uh you wrapped up let already me hit you. But what, yeah, before we jump into it let me hit let's play a little nostalgia here i want to take jt back to high school all right <laughs> i'm going to take brandon back to high school as well so we're aging a, a number of years we're not going to disclose when march madness came around at your high school did you have those teachers that would let you out of class or they would say hey if you can get out of class you can come into my classroom we're going to be watching the tvs do you have those yep. teachers mm -hmm. yeah we have and I bet right now you could tell me his name too yeah our, our basketball coach uh our assistant coach he was a sixth grade teacher and he would write us all notes so we would get out and uh head down to his room and just watch all the games that's awesome i'll never forget my teacher was uh mr wetmore there were plenty mm -hmm. that did it but his was the place to go and i'll never forget i had him for psychology and um he said, we're going to have class in the cafeteria today. <laughs> You're like, in the cafeteria? What in the world? Well, in our cafeteria, there was eight televisions. Wow. So he had gone in and all the lunch, all the lunch, he was the first class after lunch and um, all the cafeteria was empty and we had games on all the TVs and that's where we had quote unquote class that day. That's so, awesome. Uh, glad to no, know that the experience was universal. Yeah, nothing better than that. I th I'm pretty sure every school has at least one uh, that he, he's the guy to go to, to to get all the games in. Uh, but yeah, we'll uh, jump. We'll jump right in. Uh, let's open up. We'll we'll get into some of our sleepers for the for the NCAA tournament on who we think could possibly pull some upsets of these schools that have already clinched uh, their conference. Let's just get Gonzaga out of the way. They're they were end the season undefeated. They're looking to be the first team since 1975-1976 to win the national championship with an undefeated season. They had a scare, down 12 at halftime. BYU gave them everything they could. What did you take away from that game last night? Um, I took away that Gonzaga's vulnerable, I guess. Um, I say that, and I don't know that I buy it myself. Um, <laughs> I just think that there's you know bigger fish to fry for Gonzaga. Um, but on the other hand, like you said, BYU gave them 
everything they could handle. And I think Gonzaga had to play ball. I just think they started slow. Mm-hmm. Um, and that could be, you know, undervaluing the opponent. There could be all kinds of reasons, but we've been on BYU. This should not have came as a shock to them. They've seen them twice in the conference. Um, and yeah, I just think the slow start got Gonzaga, but they were able to pull it out and be who we thought they were. Yep. Yeah, they, I know Mark Few said after the game, like, don't disrespect BYU. Like, this wouldn't have been an upset. They are a top 25 uh, Ken Palm team. They've been right in and in out in and out of the AP top 25. So they are no joke. But I, one thing I took away from it, and I want to get your opinion. This is probably this is a bold take uh, with how it's going to sound, but I think once I explain, it'll make more sense. Hot I take think, alert. I think Jalen Suggs is going to be in this tournament what Derrick Rose was in his only NCAA tournament in the fact that they aren't the same exact player. Derrick Rose was a freak athlete, but Jalen Suggs has kind of taken a backseat to Corey Kispert, uh, Joel Ajayi, and and Drew Timmy, some of these other guys, because this was an experienced team already. He's coming in and he kind of just, he was still impressive. We've been high on him all year but he's kind of coasted throughout the season where I think in the tournament, he is going to, I think Mark Few is going to tell him, take over, like this is your tournament. And it's going to propel him to be a top three pick in the NBA draft. I can see that. Um, but I would just play devil's advocate here. What do you say to the fact or to the, the notion that if he does start playing that, I don't want to say I don't want to say selfish, but if he starts playing that dominant ball, do you think that would mess up what Gonzaga would have with the chemistry they've already built, or do you think, think it would propel the whole team? I think he kind of showed it last night that he he isn't the exact same player that Rose was. That he was just like, "Give me the ball, I'm going to go get a bucket." But he just commands the game, and he's going to get a bucket if the pass is there. He's going to hit the pass. I think that when we go when we look back at the 2021 tournament. We, I think that's going to be the story is how Jalen Suggs kind of blossomed into possibly the best player in the country. Yeah, I think you're right there. Um, I think his assertiveness is top notch. I mean, it's a, he has an elite level of basketball like you. The mm-hmm. thing that, that, I, that separates him from his peers is that he also had full skill set as well. Mm-hmm. So where you have someone like, and I'll just use an example, polar opposite, Kihei Clark. Mm-hmm. Kihei Clark has a high level of basketball IQ, but there are a lot of skill sets that come along with the game of basketball that he is not above average at. With Jalen Suggs, he is. There is mm-hmm. not a facet of the game he is not above average at. So not only does he have the high IQ, he can put it to work in any caveat that you want. Um, and for that reason, I agree with you. Um, and I'm glad you made the distinction between the Derrick Rose and, and, and Jalen Suggs, because I do think that if he had more of a dominant assertiveness, um, more like a, a, you know, a Derrick Rose did, I think that that could blow up the chemistry with Gonzaga and maybe mm-hmm. become more of an ailment, but that Derrick Rose team now for Memphis, they were, they were loaded too. Yeah, de- definitely. I definitely think, uh, yeah, they, they were a great team and he just propelled them over the top, but right. I, I do think that. At, in the first round of that tournament, I think Calipari stepped, uh, took him aside and said, hey, like, these other guys are good, but you're great. Go be great. Yeah, and I, I think you're right. Um, I think that what was different with, with Derrick Rose was Kentucky was a great team, but when you were able to shut down everything that Kentucky was doing, or Memphis. Derrick Rose, or Memphis, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. When you show everything that Memphis was doing, Derrick Rose could say, okay, that's fine. Y'all take your men out of the way, and I got you. Mm-hmm. I yeah. don't know that Jalen Suggs is that player, but he will do everything and create new types of opportunity so that you can't shut the team down. And that's exactly what we saw against BYU last night. Yeah. They had them figured out. Mark Few said, hey, and of course this is hypothetical, but, you know, I'm out of ideas here. You're on the court. Do what you see fit. We've got to get this W. And mm-hmm. that's what he did. Yep. I, I definitely agree. Um, so, yeah, I'm, I'm very excited to see once we get a bracket, what teams are going to be able to give them a test. But for now, maybe a little bit of the book is out. Uh, but uh, I guess BYU also shot 70% from three in the first half. So 
I mean, if you <laughs> if you can do that for a whole game, then yeah, you might have Gonzaga's number, but it, it's going to take a lot more than that. Um, if you if you can't shoot at that level, you, you got to find some other things to help you out. But it, we'll we'll jump in here for the rest of the teams that have clinched. There are ten total uh, outside of Gonzaga, and we're going to take it from bracketology on ESPN. We'll start with the teams that are projected at sixteen seeds and move our way back. And we're going to go with. So what we're going to do now for that part of it, we're going to talk about the teams that have punched their tickets. So we're going to play a little bit of set them up and knock them down. And here's how this is going to work. JT, outside of Gonzaga, I'm going to go through the teams that have already punched their ticket. And you tell me if you're going to knock them down or if you think they are legitimate enough to make a run. How's that sound? Mm -hmm. Okay. So we'll start out of the NEC, the Mount St. Mary's Mountaineers. Uh, They clinched with a 73-68 win over Bryant. Uh, They're 12-10 and on the year. Their leading scorer is Damian Chonqui. He averages 14.9 points per game. Uh, This is is Mount St. Mary's sixth appearance in the tournament, first since 2017. There's the setup. You going to knock them down? Yeah, I think they'll they'll come in at a 16 seed. I don't see any uh, any of the one seeds being upset here, so I, I think I'm going to knock them down. But uh, great for them, uh, great season. But uh, yeah, knocking them down. All right, we'll move on to the Sun Belt Conference champion. That's Appalachian State Mountaineers, uh, 17 and 11 on the year. They clinched their title with an 80-73 win over Georgia State. Uh, they are led this year by Adrian Delph, who's averaging 13.2 a game. Third tournament appearance, first since 2000. Is the 21-year hiatus a good enough reason for you to keep Appalachian State set up, or are we knocking them down? I think it's a it's a great story of how they ran through that tournament. The, they were only 7-8 and eight in conference, so good for them to win their conference, but no, they're knocked down as well. Okay, so we've knocked out – We've knocked out the Mountaineers twice, once from Mount St. Mary's <laughs> and one from Appalachian State. Now, that's, not over the, that, that's not looking no. good for my team. <laughs> it's not. But hey, let's talk about the Dragons of Drexel out of the CAA, the Colonial Athletic there. 12-7 and seven on the year, uh, clinched their championship with a 63-56 win over Elon. Their leading scorer on the year at 17.3 a game is Cameron Winter. Uh, fifth, tournament, fifth tournament appearance, first since 1996, though. Another hmm. long absent. Are we are we going to keep them set up, or are we knocking Drexel down as well? I think, I mean, they're still. Uh, Bracketology has them sitting at a 15 seed. Um, we've seen the 15 over two. I think that of the 15 seeds, I could see them possibly. They they played Pitt earlier this year, and even though Pitt's not a tournament team, they they played them close for a lot of that game. So I give them the best chance out of the 15 seeds to pull off an upset, but I'm still knocking them down. And knowing my luck, Virginia is going to mess around, win the ACC tournament, and get that two-seat against Drexel, and we'll give you that that W there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we'll go to the Horizon League then, where we have, in my opinion, a formidable team, uh, someone who we've seen in the past um, have a national championship. That's the Cleveland State Vikings, 19-7 uh, and seven overall, 80-69 to 69 over Oakland in the Horizon Conference Championship game. They're led this year by Tory Patton, who averages 14.6. And like we said, third appearance, they do have a national championship, but this is their first trip back since 2009. Are we setting them up for a run or are we knocking them down right away? I, I like them. Uh, I, I think that if they can somehow find a way to get up to that 14 line, they're right on the edge there. I think that's that could possibly be the big upset of the tournament. What is it you like so much about them? Because I like them too. I think that they've got a really good chance to make some noise, depending on whose bracket they end up in. Um, yeah. You know, they they play good defense. Um, they they just play very sound. It's a senior led group, so I think that this is the type of team that if you can play a little bit defense, they they don't knock down as many shots as I would like. They don't shoot a great percentage from the field. So I, I would like to see that be a little better. I know their three-point percentage is 31.9. That's not where you want to see them at. For the Usually the upset teams are the teams that come in and shoot the lights out and just catch a big team off guard. But I think that they can defend well enough that they can pull one off, depending on the matchup, of course. We'll, we'll wait and see a bracket. But I could see this being a team that could take a, one of the big teams out. Okay, I like it. We'll see what happens there. We're going to go from the Vikings to the Eagles, and that is the Oral Oral Roberts Golden Eagles out of the Summit Conference. 16-10 and 10 on the year. They got their title and their AQ bid with a 75-72 win over North Dakota State. That was a good game. I hope you all watched it. They're led this year by Max Abmus. That's Max Abmus. He, he's averaging 24.3 a game. 
sixth appearance here for Oral Roberts, but the Golden Eagles haven't been since 2008. That's a little bit of a trend here. Um, are they set up to make a similar run to Cleveland State, or are we getting them knocked out and it's one and done? I I haven't been able to see much of them throughout this tournament. I uh, caught a little bit of the highlights. I there I don't see enough from them to pull off an upset, so I, I'm going to pass on them. Okay. I don't, I don't have an issue with that. I don't know anything about them, but I guess that's all we need to know. Yeah. So we'll go to, again, we got more Eagles here. It's a common theme as well. Ohio Valley Conference, Moorhead State. Shout out John Morant. We got 23 and seven on the year. They went at 86, 71 over a good Belmont team. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, I hope I don't butch their, butcher this, but their leading score is Johnny Brome. I don't know if that's a silent E and it's Broom, but I'm going to go with Broom A. He averages 13.9 points per game. Eighth tournament appearance overall for Moorhead State, first since 2011. I I watched that game last night. Um, Belmont has been very up and down. Moorhead put a beating to them. It ended up beating them by 15. Belmont was a team that I thought sneak, was very sneaky, and if they won the Ohio Valley, that they were going to pull off an upset. So – because I don't know as much about Moorhead, uh, I really had Belmont penciled in as winning that conference. I'm going to pass on them. Okay, we're going to pass on on that. So we're going to get to one of a controversial one here. Um, this one kind of pains me, but it's a catch-22 for me, JT, because on one hand, my uncle is a Liberty University basketball alumni. Mm-hmm. Um, and on the other hand, I hate how Liberty got their automatic bid. Hate it. Are you, are you familiar with the situation? Uh, I am, but if you want to let that let the people listening know um, what, what went on there. Sure. Okay, so just a quick synopsis. Um, the Atlantic Sun is a developing conference. They have eight membership schools right now. Frankly speaking, they have eight because they added two this year, one in northern Alabama and one in Bellarmine. That means that they have to sit out much like ODU did a couple of years ago when they joined Division One, and what Liberty is going through now, joining Division One in football. You're ineligible for the postseason for a certain amount of time. Mm-hmm. Okay. So Bellarmine and North Alabama are ineligible for the NCAA tournament. However, they were allowed to play in their conference tournament and North Alabama made it to the conference championship game. So that meant that regardless if North Alabama won or not, Liberty got the bid automatically and it was awarded before the game was even played. The NCAA sent them their ticket. That bothers me because that takes an opportunity from another team like a Florida Gulf Coast or a Lipscomb that had decent seasons mm-hmm. to play in that championship game. And I, you can say, hey, just win the game. But that's not the point. That, that's not the point. The point is that if a team isn't eligible for a postseason tournament and only because we're in a conference JT like the Atlantic Sun, Liberty is not getting an at-large bid. Okay. Yeah. Lipscomb is not getting an at-large bid. They've got to win that AQ spot. Mm-hmm. So to take that away from another team, I just think was wrong to have that eligibility there for them, even though they were or the ability to play in the conference tournament with no shot of getting the AQ. Um, but kudos to Liberty. They went 25 on the season. So not they're a good team. Um, they won 77-64 over Stetson. And you might say, well, wait a minute. North Alabama made it to the cha- – that's even more so to the <laughs> point. They say that their title-clinching game was their semifinal win against Stetson. So – Make of it what you will. They're led by Darius McGee. Liberty is uh, the Flames out of Lynchburg, Virginia. 15.6 points per game is his average on the year. Fifth appearance overall. First since not too long ago, 2019. The mm-hmm. last time we had an NCAA tournament. Um, so what do you like there, JT? Are we going to set them up to make a run or are we knocking them down? I think I think they are. On paper, when I was digging in through some of the advanced statistics today, uh, the statistics love Liberty. Um, Blake Preston, uh, one of their big guys, he is ninth in the country in shot quality. If you go check out shotquality.com, they have all the teams and all the players on it, just based on what type of shots they take, uh, how high quality they are and ninth in the country. That's a, a high praise. And then you have Kyle road. He's top 80 in effective field goal percentage and, Darius McGee, like you said, he leads the team in points per game. He's 29th in the country in offensive rating. Their five losses, three of them were, the, or I guess two were to tournament teams, Purdue and Missouri, and then one other Power Five conference in TCU. I like Liberty. I think out of all of these teams, they have the best shot of any to make it to the Sweet 16 and play in the second weekend. Absolutely. I am 100% with you. I think if Liberty is not a 10 seed or better, it's a disservice 
Mm-hmm. They are a really good team. And I know in my rant, I said that they were they wouldn't get an at-large. Liberty is the exception. I think Liberty would have earned an at-large bid this year um, with the way they performed. And especially coming off the 2019 performance, uh, they did have a solid year last year in conference as well. There was just no postseason. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm with you on Liberty. They, they're going to get some money thrown their way, courtesy of uh, Sports with BJ. But we'll move on to the Southern Conference, where the UNC Greensboro Spartans clinched with a 69-61 win over Mercer. Uh, shout out to the Duke upset. 21 and 18 on the year. Um, Isaiah Miller leads them with 19.3 points per game. Uh, fourth tournament appearance overall, first since 2018. Are they set up to make a run, JT? Or are we going to knock them down right away? I think if he gets hot, he he would have to have a big game, but like a 30 point game. Uh, I don't think they're good enough defensively or offensively as a whole. But you see some of these guys that show out in, in a tournament. One player can take over, so that's really the only way I see it. But I'm going to knock them down. Okay. Of all the of all the leading scorers on this list that we're reading off, Isaiah Miller to me is the biggest threat mm-hmm. that of, of the list. Um, and again, that's uh, uh, Oral Roberts. Admittedly, don't know too much about Morehead State. Don't know too much about. But I have seen these other teams play. And when I think of individual runs, the first one that always sticks out is Davidson, mm-hmm. Steph Curry, right? Isaiah Miller of this list. If there was going to be one player to take an entire university on his back and make a run. He's the one that can do it. But we'll jump to the Big South, which was used to be Liberty's conference, um, and a rival of theirs, Winthrop, another Eagle. Uh, they come in at 23-1. and one. They got their AQ bid by beating Campbell, 80-53. to 53. They're led by Sh- uh, Chandler Baldron. He averages 12.2 a game, 11th tournament appearance of all time, first since 2017, so not too absent. What do we like about them, or what do we like to set them up to be knocked down? I think I think they could get into a shootout with a team depending on uh, they'll probably be around a 12 seed. So some of those five seeds that you look at, um, maybe I don't know where Tennessee is sitting at right now, but a team like that that struggles offensively, Winthrop could come out and just uh, beat them pretty handedly if they if they're hitting their shots. They have 11 guys that average at least 11 minutes per game, so they're very deep. Um, they can come at you with a few different angles if guys aren't hitting shots. And like you said, Chandler Valdron, he leads the lead or he leads the team in points. He also leads in four of the five main statistical categories. So he has a potential to have a big game. Uh, they got DJ Burns inside. So I like them um, depending on the matchup, of course. Uh, that's how it always is. But I think you could catch a team in and they could get up to 80, 85 points and pull out a victory. Well said. I think you just sold me on Winthrop a little bit there. But um <laughs> I hope you're ready to go to church because Sister Jean is back. The Missouri Valley Conference champions, the Loyola Chicago Ramblers, get the AQ bid with a 75-65 win over Drake. They come in at 24-4 and on the year. Cameron Krutvig is the leading scorer for them at 15 points per game. Seventh appearance, first since 2018. Is Sister Jean got enough juju to make another run there, JT? No, I, I, think, that, I think that they've been propped up a little bit too high. I think that they're probably going to end up around the 8-9 seed. And I was just looking today, there are too many good teams right around that 8-9 spot who really make me feel that they could upset somebody. Like, listen to some of these teams. If North Carolina uh, is there, I think they have a high-powered team that could compete with Loyola. Missouri has a high-powered offense. UConn's coming on strong with Boatwright – or not Boatwright, Booknight. That's what his mm-hmm. name is. So Loyola is the number one ranked team on Ken Palm defensively, but they haven't played one of these top tier teams that can go out and put put up 90. So I think for that reason, I'm going to knock them down. I agree with that assessment, but uh, it's hard to bet against Sister Jean. So I'm going to give them at least one win in the tournament. You heard it here <laughs> first. That's going to do it for set them up and knock them down. We're going to get to the big stuff, the important stuff, the Power Five conference tournaments, the ones that draw the ratings, JT, the ones that <laughs> produce the national champions, JT. So what we're going to do is we're going to play another game. Are you in the mood for some games tonight? Uh, I'm always down for a game. Don't really have a choice. You already hit the record button. So what we're <laughs> going to do is we're going to play a game called Am I Right? What we're going to do is I'm going to hit the three big conferences that our teams don't play in. So that's going to be the Big 12 for the Mountaineer Minute and the ACC for the Cavalanche. So I'm going to hit you with my Pac-12 predicted winner, my Big 10 predicted winner, my SEC predicted winner for the tournaments. And you sell, tell me, am I right? And we're going to start with the Pac-12. We're going to get the, the late night game out of the way. <laughs> I'm going to go with USC. 
with a caveat as to why. I think Oregon's the better team, but I think USC owes Oregon a payback win for what Oregon did to them in football this year. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to go with USC to upset Oregon uh, and keep them out of the dance. Am I right? I, I'm going to have to disagree there. I've actually been high on Oregon for the last couple of weeks. This usually is Dan Altman's time, but I have a sleepy suspicion that Colorado is coming on strong and could end up pulling out the win. They, they've looked good the last couple of weeks. They have wins over USC. I'm pulling them back up now because I, I had it written down, but I can't find it. They have wins in the last two weeks against UCLA and USC and also Arizona State, who's not, not a terrible team. So I think they've won four straight, and they won't have to play Oregon until that championship game. So I think I'm going to go with the number three seeded Buffaloes. All right. Colorado, I like it. That could be a good bet. I think they're sitting at plus 900 right now, mm-hmm. um, if I'm not mistaken. I probably am, but somewhere around there. All right, so I was wrong. Let's take it to the heartland, JT. <laughs> the Big Ten tournament. All right, one of the one of the best tournaments in all of the conference tournaments, with the exception of the fact that there's the only ones that still decide a champion on Sunday while the committee has already met. But <laughs> I digress. I'm going with a team I've been on since the very beginning of press break, and that is the Fighting Illini, Illini out of Illinois. JT, am I right? Uh, you are right. Uh, I think that uh, we we definitely agree on that one. You, I would assume it was a player that you want to have in these type of tournament styles where you're playing three games in three days, him and Kofi Coburn, they, they are going to cut down the nets there. I love it. And then we'll go a little bit uh, to some warmer weather down there in the Southeastern Conference. Um, a lot. This was hard. This was hard for me. Um, I spent the most time on this conference because of all the conferences. I believe the SEC has had the most parity. You can say that that's because they're down a little bit this year and there's no one really juggernaut like there typically is you could say it's because everyone is just equally talented i'm going to choose that one because it's march and i like to think the teams are good i am picking the tigers out of baton rouge lsu to be the Mm. winner of the sec tournament jt am i right i was not expecting you to go there we've got a little bit of a difference of opinion i'm picking uh, i'm not going with alabama i think they are they kind of hit their stride earlier on in the season i'm going with eric musselman and just his his strong attitude of how he can propel his players to great things, just, just with how he coaches them up, I'm going to take Arkansas to win it all. I like that. And I'll just get a little bit of justification here. Of the top three seeds, Alabama, Arkansas, LSU, LSU has scored the least amount, but they've also allowed the least amount. Mm-hmm. And in some of the games they play, we've seen them here in the last couple. I think they've dropped a triple digit spot three of the last six, six or seven games they had. Maybe it was only two, but we've seen them drop some amazing amount of points. They're on a winning streak. They've got a great, great strength of schedule uh, for having played in the SEC. And they're undefeated in neutral sites this year. That is so. an interesting, that's an interesting stat. I, I do like that. Um, they were probably second for me because I think whoever has, whoever comes out of that bottom half of the, of the bracket, it's Arkansas and LSU. They got the buys. And then there's Missouri sitting back there that has to play in the, uh, the, the second round tomorrow. So I think one of those three teams would win it. I don't really like any of the teams up top. The reason I went with Arkansas, they haven't lost a, an SEC game since January 16th. They opened up one and four in the conference and they've just rattled off a bunch of wins. They're only lost since that day is to Oklahoma State in the Big 12 SEC Challenge. So for that reason, I'm going with the Razorbacks. Yes, they Razorbacks. are. Arkansas Razorbacks. Suey. Pig Sue. <laughs> I don't know. Something. It's one of the two that they say. I think they might actually say both. I'm not yeah. sure. <laughs> but that's going to do it for Am I Right? I am not right on two, but I am right on Illinois, which means that JT is right in the Pac-12 going with Oregon and the SEC going with Arkansas. We both agree on Illinois in the Big Ten. Now it's time to get to my favorite segment of the whole show, and that is when I don't know if I'm going to get huggy love, huggy hate, but I do know it's going to be great. Let's get into it.
So yeah, we're, we're back for another Mountaineer minute. And uh, I was really thinking that the Mountaineers were going to end the season strong, but Oklahoma state had different ideas. They pulled off the upset 85, 80 on Saturday. The, the big 12 really handed the Mountaineers a, a platter here. They, it was a four game stretch at home to end the season. You win three out of those four and you're the two seed in the big 12 tournament. You probably bump up to a two seed in the NCAA tournament. And also on Saturday, they probably had a big celebration planned because that was going to be Bob Huggins 900th victory. So that, that kind of all got spoiled. It's probably the most embarrassing. I don't like throwing that word around lightly, but that was probably the most embarrassing loss that I've seen in a while from the Mountaineers. You have Kate Cunningham, the best player in the country out. You have Isaac likely another great player for them out and you allow Avery Anderson, who is a great player in his own right, but he, he was great in high school, 2,000-plus po point scorer. He hasn't – he was kind of the whole offense, and the Mountaineers still allowed him to get into the paint time after time and get 31 total points. I, 50 points in the paint as a team. They got out-rebounded by 10. I'm just kind of – that was one that it – was, it was rough to watch. And I want to get your opinion on what you saw from that game, because I was very hurt after that one. So I'm actually kind of glad that it went down the way it did at the end, because it led me to the question that I've actually had for you all year long. And we've sat here back and forth and dissected West Virginia a little bit. Um, and I could never really put my finger on what it was about West Virginia that bothered me. But after watching Oklahoma State and after watching the last three minutes of that game, I summed it up in a question. Okay. Who is the primary go-to ball handler for the Mountaineers? So that's funny that you said that because I, I preached all last year that I think Duke McBride is a shooting guard. He has been thrown in to a point guard position, but he showed it at the end of that game where they inbound in the ball and he tries to throw a 25-foot uh, baseball pass in between two defenders to Derek Culver to try to get a quick two. That, that's something that they just don't have because true point guards on the team, you have Jordan McCabe, and he just isn't really cut out to be a starting point guard in a power five conference. I think he's a little undersized. He, his decision-making isn't always the greatest. So you really have to trust Deuce. And I thought middle of the year, I thought he was figuring it out. But then in a moment like that, he does a boneheaded thing and uh, turns the ball over and they lose the game. So yeah, they, they don't really have a primary ball handler, but, and if they catch a team in the tournament that presses, it, it's over. They're going to probably have at least 15, 20 turnovers and lose the game. Yeah. And I, that's kind of been what I haven't been able to put my, my finger on is that y'all do not have a high level athletic with similar high level IQ to run the offense mm -hmm. you, and, and Deuce McBride is not it. I could agree with you completely off the ball. Amazing off the ball. He can be amazing, but he's not getting that opportunity because like you said, the point guard y'all thought you had isn't that I, I don't think I would say he's not a power five conference point guard because he is similar to Kihei Clark. He is not built for top tier of a power five conference. Yeah, He's that's... not that kind of a guard. Mm -hmm. um, and I know that that's what you meant, but I wanted to clarify that for people listening. We're not saying that he shouldn't be on a power five roster, but there's a difference between being power five talented and power five effective. Yeah. And, and he's just not power five effective yet. It, we, he can still develop. We, we don't know, mm -hmm. but that's what's ailed y'all all year long is in crucial situations down the stretch when you need a strong five minutes and a protected ball and good decisions and passing lanes that didn't exist to exist because of good court vision. I don't see that for y'all. And I think that's why we've seen a lot of close calls not go y'all's favor. And you talked about it a couple of weeks ago. You said you didn't have a very high ceiling for them because every close call in a game has gone against West Virginia. And we don't mm -hmm. know why, but it just is. But if some of those bounces would have gone y'all's way was my counterpoint, and maybe that'll turn around and they will. I don't think it's going to. So now yeah. I'm on your side. I'm on your side. I don't think that I don't think that they're equipped. Yeah. So that, that, that's my thoughts on it, my takeaway. Yeah, I'm glad you're on the same page. I know that some West Virginia fans uh, that I spoke to on Twitter 
were, were not in agreement with me. I was kind of heated after the game and I got into a discussion with multiple people on Twitter that, which is what we do. That's how it happens. Yeah. They, they thought that I was being crazy and overreacting over one loss. And I, I was like, no, I've said it for weeks. We've, uh, we've said it on here that they are not a final four team. And the, because those guys got me heated, I went and did some research and dug up every final four from 2002 on, because that is when Ken Palm started. And I dug up the adjusted offensive ratings and adjusted defensive ratings of all the final four teams uh, since 2002. And West Virginia currently sits at 73rd in offensive or in defensive efficiency. There are only three teams all time or since 2002 that were below 50. Texas in 2003 was at 58. And then VCU, the magical run that they had, Cinderella story in 2011, they were at 78th. And then Marquette with Dwayne Wade, they were the second best offense in the country that year. So they had that to kind of outweigh it. You had an NBA uh, Hall of Famer on your team, which I don't really think West Virginia has. So that is the reason behind, like, you have to be able to play defense, not even at an elite level, but just at a good level to be able to make the Final Four, to get through those four games and, and make it to, to end, well, I guess it's in Indy the whole time. But, um, yeah, that, I just don't see it. They, they are great offensively. They'll put on a show for maybe a game or two. But Elite Eight is still the ceiling I see for them. Absolutely. And just to kind of clarify a little bit for what you're trying to say, I know I can see it in your eyes. I wish maybe we should go live one day because fans would get a kick out of your facial expressions. I know you're <laughs> heated right now still. You are not over it. But when you say at least play defense at a decent level, so you say there's 353 schools in Division One basketball and West Virginia is at 78. That sounds pretty, pretty decent, right? But keep in mind, 68 teams make the tournament. Mm -hmm. And we're talking about teams that make it to the Final Four. You're not even in a ranking that goes with the 68 teams in the tournament. You're not even the 68th best at defense there. Yep. So that's kind of where we're saying at a decent level. Um, and, and we've also seen West Virginia go through, through scoring droughts, right? Yeah, that, which um, is what you saw on Saturday. They shot, I believe it was 20% from three which they've lived and died by that all year long. That's actually the worst that they've shot in conference play. So yeah, you have to be able to shoot at least at a 35% clip probably to win uh, for this team to go through the tournament and win games. They probably have to at least be at 35% th from three for all, all the games. Yeah. And that's exactly what we're talking about. You know, that's the point in having defense to fall back on is you are going to go through stretches offensively where you're just not going to score. Every mm -hmm. team does it, okay? Yep. Everyone can't be hot at the same time. That's how scoring droughts happen. So when that happens, can you lock up and hold your opponent to six, seven, eight points only while you don't score for two, three, four, five minutes? Mm -hmm. West Virginia cannot. And all it's going to take is the right team to be hot as hell and West Virginia to be off a little bit. And that bounce that we see from them in the tournament could be Sweet 16 probably not going to be elite eight i mean just it there's two the teams just get so much better mm -hmm. as as they go and you get these teams with their back against the corner fighting for their lives because this is the biggest moment they're ever we've seen it that's what makes it the big dance that's what makes it the most amazing sporting event every single year anything can happen no one can predict the stories no one can predict what's going to happen and i think west virginia might be on the wrong side of someone's good story Yep, I, I think you are very right in that. I, but to transition, I while I was doing some digging, I found some stats that might help you out. So I think it might be time to get into a Cavalanche so I, I can help you out there. Grant spins. Keita with a rebound. Taken away by Gill. Boy, has he been good. And of course, that sounds means it's time for another Cavalanche, and I'm actually excited. This Cavalanche is going to start off with JT because you what what a cliffhanger! You're just going to cut me out and play my <laughs> audio when not tell me the stats. So take it away, JT. Start the Cavalanche. So I was doing some digging, and I, I saw online there 
19 of the last 20 March Madness winners have all had these four stats. And you, I think, I believe UConn was the outlier because UConn in 2011 seems to be the outlier for every statistical thing that you try to look up because that was just yes. a very weird year. They are literally the definition of anomaly. Uh, yep, exactly. So out of the other 19 uh, winners, they all had over 30 per, uh, 37% from three. They all shot over 70% from the free throw line, held their opponents to less than 70 points per game, and committed less than 14 turnovers per game. Mm. There's only five teams in the country this year that meet all of those four categories. It's Michigan, San Diego State, Liberty, BYU, and then the Virginia Cavaliers. Mm. So I, I think that I think that some people might have jumped off the bandwagon as the, that losing streak towards the end of the year happened. But for any gamblers out there, I wouldn't mind taking a flyer on UVA at whatever their odds are at, just because, I mean, those are four key stats. It means you shoot the ball well from deep, you make your free throws at end of games, you are good defensively, and you don't turn the ball over. That, that's a champion uh, waiting to happen. Sure. Um, and what I'll say to that is, Outside of Michigan, I don't like the company of teams as far as having national title aspirations. Well, so that's um, the thing, too, is that, that uh, I think when I looked back throughout the years, there were some of those smaller conference teams that um, they also meet those categories. But obviously, they play against lesser competition. It doesn't sure. mean as much. But when you get into those big Power Five conferences, like uh, that, that's some meaningful stats. They are. And, you know, it's hard to sit there because we have a team that has done it recently. And you look at the 2019 National Championship, Virginia Cavaliers, you've got three, now four, NBA players on that roster. DeAndre Hunter, Kyle Guy, Ty Jerome, Mamadi Diakite. Okay, so you have those players. And then you look at this team, and there's one key disparagement for me. Um, and that is, there's no mid-range game. The, the high percentage three-point plays or the high percentage three-point efficiency is a great stat if it's a complement to all the other offense you have. Unfortunately, right now for UVA, shooting well from three is the only way we're winning games, mostly. Mm -hmm. um, and, of course, our defense. That's always going to be there. And anytime, like you said earlier, defense travels, you're going to go there. Um, I'm still, I still don't think this is a Final Four caliber team, and I say that with all heart and mind in consideration. I just, I, I don't, I don't see it this year mm -hmm. with them. Um, I'm not saying that they can't get on a good run. You mentioned the three game losing streak and then they finished the game relatively strong. I love how they were given a pressure situation with the Louisville game. So thank you, Notre Dame. And if we end up winning the national championship this year, I will donate to your athletic fund because <laughs> the win against Florida state put us in a position to play a meaningful game to end our year. And we showed up and a fun stat, not a fun stat, but a fun fact. Jay Huff did not play in the last 16 minutes of that game, and Sam Hauser did not play in the last 10 minutes of that game. Kihei Clark was even absent. We don't mention that because he's not a high percentage of our offense when it comes to the scoring output. Mm -hmm. But for the bulk of the end of the game, it was Francisco Cafaro, Casey Morseau, um, Reese Beekman, and uh, a couple others sprinkled in there. Trey Murphy was in and out. Um, but, the, but two of the big three didn't play for the last 10 for Sam Hauser in the last 17 or 16 for Jay Huff in that game. And they still pulled that out. And that's what I've been crying for all year long. When we get in these positions where we're up 15, 20 points on a team, that's the time to get your Francisco Cafaros, your Carson McCorkles, your Jabri Abdul Rahims, the people that need that quality minute. What are they going to do with 46 seconds left in the game, coach? Yeah. Nothing, nothing but be dejected that they're garbage time or, you know, that's, that's the mantra garbage time player. Um, I think it hurts more than anything. So I was glad to see that. Um, and I think that this ACC tournament could provide the extra leverage. And I think that's why a lot of people say last year's team got robbed because we had an opposite effect last year. We started off extremely slow. Okay. We had a, I don't remember who it was, um, but it was on national television. It was an out of conference opponent and we got beat by like 30, 35 points. Um, and this was the 2019, 2020 season. Um, and we started off really relatively slow. I think we actually ended up unranked at one point. Um, and then towards the end of the year, UVA came on strong. Things started clicking. Kihei Clark recognized his responsibility and started, you know, 
carrying the offense, ended up leading the team in three-point percentage, which I know mm-hmm. is a complete polar opposite from this year. <laughs> um, but he took over, and, and the team came together, and they were playing some of the best ball in the country before the ACC tournament and eventually the NCAA tournament got ripped away. So I see the notion to want to get hot at the right time. I, I get that. And UVA has not necessarily been cold this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, we just went through a bad three-game stretch. And again, I harp on it. The NC State the NC State loss was the only head-scratcher. I have no idea how we beat them by 20 the first time, and they come in our house and control the game and beat the living tar out of us from a gameplay standpoint. Maybe not the mm-hmm. final score, but from a gameplay standpoint, they destroyed us. The, the Duke game was just a good loss. Florida State game. Way, we've already talked to that at Nosham, whatever. Gonzaga, bad loss. But other than that, we've we've been competitive and done UVA-like things. It just hasn't been as sexy as it has in the year past. But I've got a stat here that is going to be a momentum killer if it holds true. So the ACC tournament, they they pulled it from Brooklyn. They gave it the New York try. And from what I understand, they don't intend to go back. They're going to continue to bounce between D.C., um, Greensboro, and Charlotte. And, uh, and maybe they might throw some Raleigh or some Richmond in there eventually, but those will be the big three. Um, and the reason why is they said the last two years, three years that they've been doing it in Brooklyn have been the least attended tournaments of recent tournaments when they were in other locations. So the Brooklyn yeah. experiment, they thought failed, which yeah, makes sense. A, yeah, it New York's not sense. ACC country. Yeah. I mean, uh, you're really I, I up there catering that, to. I still would think that would be a destination. Like I, I, I would, I knew that I didn't get a chance to, because when I got to college, uh, the Big East tournament only was around for a year, but I know we had plans for if we if we stuck around in the Big Twelve or in the Big East, we were going to go to New York to see Madison Square Garden, be in New York City. So I'm surprised mm-hmm. that's not more of a destination for fans wanting to go. Well, I think you're also dealing with New York, New York, and Brooklyn, New York. Yeah, two two difference, and you can't do it because they'll never get Madison Square Garden. Mm-hmm. That's going to be the Big East every single year. Um, and I just think that it's too much of a travel. If you think about it, more than half of the ACC is South, is Virginia and South. Yeah. So to make that travel up there, I think D.C. is a good destination. But I think Charlotte and Greensboro are good central locations. I, mm-hmm. I do. But the showstopper stat, the momentum stopping stat, as the ACC tournament history goes, there are the top five most losing teams in Greensboro Coliseum, number five, Clemson, number four, Georgia Tech, number three, Virginia Tech, number two, Florida State, and number one, UVA. Huh. Most losses at Greensboro Coliseum in ACC history, and That's they happen to be the top five T seeds in the ACC tournament. <laughs> so, um, that if you're into big statistics and you're a believer of history, and that always repeats itself. UVA is not making it out of Greensboro. Mm-hmm. They, history would say they are the losingest team in Greensboro Coliseum. So but yeah, that also means tough. they've played a lot of games in Greensboro Coliseum. So it's yeah. kind of a catch-22 stat, but you don't see Dukes up there. You don't see UNC's. Uh, Louisville was a late addition to the ACC, so they don't have a lot of experience. But it is what it is. Um, as we sit here today, Clemson, uh, or Clemson lost. So that stat's already holding true. Mm-hmm. They got beat by Miami and killed my parlay. They were the last <laughs> leg, JT. I needed to win $750. Oh. And all they had to do was beat Miami. Uh, and for a actually, while there, they were up 20. That was actually the first game of my parlay. So uh, I got out early. I'm not sure if my other two won. I haven't logged back on to check. But, uh, but yeah, that was a rough loss. Uh, Miami's yeah. not a good team. So, so what you're telling me is right now I need to – I guess they closed the futures. So you can't really pick uh, – you can't place bets on who's going to win the ACC tournament anymore, but I should have yeah. thrown money on UNC. Yeah, that would be the highest remaining seed that does not have the top five losing records in or games lost in the Greensboro Coliseum. So outside of that um, and the fact that Clemson's in the top five and they already lost, um, Florida State and the other three will have to see. Um, but we also just watched today at noon Syracuse play a really, really, really good game against um, NC State. State. And they are shooting lights out. Um, The one thing I will say is that I think we, I want more, I want Syracuse because a lower paced controlled game favors UVA. Mm -hmm. So of the two, and to be honest with you, I don't want to see DJ Funderburg again. I just don't. (laughs) 
Um, and, and I know that we did the best we could on him. Um, and, and I don't think his second game or um, I don't think that his second game against us or his first game against us was nearly as effective as his first, but he can break out at any point. So I would rather see Syracuse, but they are shooting at such a high clip. And the best way to beat a pack line defense is to knock down threes to spread them out so that the cutting lanes open and, Buddy Beheim is a freak with his release right now. It is just in slingshot mode. All he's got to do is catch and release. Um, their guard, uh, their guard is if that's his name. I think it, I think that's right. Um, yeah. He he. I think shot sixty percent from three today or fifty three something crazy. Um, and, and they're hitting the glass hard. Uh, Dolajai is still there, and anytime Dolajai can be the third mentioned player on your offensive output, you can score some points. It feels right. like he'd been there for a long, long time. <laughs> oh, I mean, Syracuse, that's kind of what they do. Them and NC State always seem to have, and I'm not saying this in any other way other than what it's been, they always seem to have that one white boy that you show up and you're like, didn't he graduate two years ago? Yeah. And I like Patrick Beverly for NC State. I swear he's been there <laughs> eight years. Um, but people always but said that about Ja people always said that about John, uh, Javon Carter for West Virginia, just because he yeah, looked the like dude he was a 48. <laughs> <laughs> like what did he like not use his eligibility did he go army out of high school and now he decided to take up basketball at 36 <laughs> now he was just one of the unlucky people that lost his hair at the age of 18 and he just decided to shave it all off um but so acc um, i actually am gonna make a prediction here that's it may go over well it may not i don't particularly care because it's just my opinion that's what i that's what we do here <laughs> um i actually think the acc tournament is gonna end up uh being hoisted by the hands of georgia tech um, I, I really like the way they're playing with the confidence they're, they're playing against, and they may not have to play really anybody. I mean, they get Clemson beat, got beat today, so they don't got to play Clemson. They mm -hmm. get to play, um, uh, Louisville. No, so they, so Georgia, Georgia Tech will take on Miami tomorrow. Miami. So they get the 13 seed there. And then they get um, UVA, uh, if UVA beats Syracuse. Right. So they would go, they would go that direction and it's hard to beat a team three times. Yep. And UVA's already beat Georgia Tech twice. So I think all the paths have lined up and I, they were my pre, they were my, before the, the tournament started, they were my pick to, mm -hmm. to win the ACC tournament. Um, I just think that the attitude that it seems to be contagious of Jose Alvarado, um, he, I think he got snubbed on some of his ACC honors. Um, and not getting them because that dude is is fantastic. His attitude, his perseverance, his fight, his motor is contagious for that team. And he does not give up. He trash talks, and I love it. He's <laughs> in your face about it, and that gets under your skin, especially when you can't stop the dude. He's only five nine, um, but he can shoot from three. He can get to the he can get to the rack and finish. He's got great vision, and he's a good assist man. Uh, I just like Georgia Tech, and I like them to make a decent run. Um, and good for them to be back and relevant in the ACC, um, getting one of the double buys for the first time in a very long time. Um, so I actually don't have UVA coming out of the ACC, but I'm glad because it's not often that you see a conference champion win the NCAA tournament, especially out of the ACC. Yeah. Um, so I would much rather, um, I would much rather lose tomorrow to Syracuse or even the semifinal game. Give me, just just don't go win the ACC tournament because luckily you Tony Bennett Virginia fans we are so spoiled. We've been in a position where we can honestly say it's about March, right? Mm -hmm. And we I know the tournament's in March. Y'all know what that means. It's about the big dance and we are expected to be a second weekend team year in and year out now. We couldn't say that during the Dave Lado. So a lot of us called him the Dave Frito Leo. Um <laughs> the Pete Gillen, the Jeff Jones. That wasn't always the case. Um, and Tony Bennett has done in 10 years, well, effectively 10 years, but in his 12 years here, his 13th season, he's done more than all of those coaches combined. So mm -hmm. please appreciate what we have. Please appreciate the fact that UVA is now a blue blood in, in college basketball, deemed by other people, definitely in the ACC, though. Um, just the regular season dominance. And the ACC overall, every single year for the last three years, has run and been predicted to run through Charlottesville. Mm -hmm. So it's a great time. I still stick with my ceiling for this team um, being hard. Man, I'm still going to stick with Elite Eight. I think if we can get to the Elite Eight, that's a little bit of an overachieve for what I think they're capable of. Um, but I will say this. 
if UVA gets bounced out tomorrow against Syracuse or the semifinal game, if they don't make it to the ACC championship game, I can see UVA making a, a, a surprising run to the final four. I can see it. Yeah. I don't uh, believe it. It, it definitely – it definitely is a one one extreme or the other. You saw UConn in the old Big East go on two of those runs where they play four games in four days, win the Big East tournament, and then go on to win a championship. But more times than not, it's better to get out early and rest and not play. I don't want to call them meaningless games, but I mean, the goal is to win a national championship. So you're right. Mm-hmm. It is better to be bounced and get to go home and rest a little bit before the tournament, which actually, I don't know if the ACC is doing, as, doing it as well, but the Big 12, they aren't leaving the tournament. They're staying in Kansas City until Sunday, even if you lose, and then you go straight from Kansas City uh, to Indy for the tournament. So that is a little bit of a change for some of these teams if they get bounced early. Then you got to just sit in either Greensboro, Kansas City, some of these random cities in a hotel room for four days waiting to get to Indy. Yeah, um, and that's a well-stated fact that travel time matters. Um, how much time you have between your last game and your next game matters. We are at the end of the season. What would you think, JT? What would you think if we went to a system where basketball started in November like it always does, but it starts earlier. Let's say November 1st, college basketball starts and you play half of your conference and your and half of your non-con. So let's say that gets you to January. Mm-hmm. Then we have March Madness. Then we have the big tournament, like an invitational, like in high school. A lot of these big tournaments, obviously you're playing for the state, but a lot of these tournaments are done during the year, right? Mm-hmm. And you play the NCAA tournament right when you're in your stride right when you know everything's getting figured out the team the cream of the crop is starting to develop this that and the other and then you go you get done and then you go finish your conference play and then you play your conference tournament and that's what ends the season i've heard i've seen a growing trend of people pitching that idea i wouldn't hate that um i still am a traditionalist so I, it would be it would be weird to not have this uh this massive week of conference tournaments leading up to the big tournament um, so it would take me some time to adjust, but I don't hate that because you do see in February and March, some of these teams, you know, they, they kind of hit their peak and then they're just trying to coast to March from January to March. So it wouldn't be a terrible idea. And we probably would get some, uh, some different teams competing for a national championship just because they're at their peak in January instead of March. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how I feel about it. I think that it being what gets played for at the end of the year is everything. Mm -hmm. Um, But, you know, it is what it is. So I have a stat here, um, just a couple of teams that I've noticed have done. First of all, we talked about winning the ACC tournament and the national championship. We have to remember NC State. Um, They did it in 74 and 83, okay? Um, UNC did it in 82. Duke's done it in 92, 2001, 2010. UNC did it in 57 and 82. Um, obviously the Jim Valvano team. The mm-hmm. funny thing about the Jim Valvano team, that one to me takes the cream of the crop. And I guess what I'm getting at here is that it's rare, right? We can, we can admit that. Yep. To win the ACC and then win, also win the national championship from those numbers I just threw out, those dates, they're so spread out and so sporadic. It's rare. The fun thing about that NC State team though, not only are they in the list of rare air teams that won the ACC tournament and then won the NCAA tournament, in 1983, the only way they were going to get to the NCAA tournament was to win the ACC tournament and get the AQ. Yeah. So to me, even though it's rarefied air, that 83 NC state team still stands cream of the crop of all of them. I would definitely agree with you there. Uh, That definitely stands out of all the teams you talked about. That's the one that everyone remembers uh, winning the tournament um, after winning the ACC. So uh, I know there. We would. I, I kind of want to look through the rest of the conferences and see what it's like. Teams that have won both conference and national titles, because I think for all the conferences, I think it would be pretty rare. Well, maybe that's a stat we can bring to the show next week. Let's, because we'll have all the conference winners, mm-hmm. and we can go through the list of conference champions that have won 
their conference tournament and the national. And maybe we go through and pick out, you know, who we think has the best chance of repeating rare history. Yeah, I, I definitely like that. Um, we, we're giving ourselves some homework for you guys, uh, doing some extracurricular activities. So but with that, we will end and go watch some more basketball. Uh, looking forward to a big day tomorrow. You can find me everywhere at JTZ4. You can find Brandon everywhere at Sports with BJ. And that was another well-executed press break.